0: If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17 tonight, uh, beginning in verse 40. I'm going to try to reserve my voice just a little bit tonight. Are you all okay with that? All right it, yeah sometimes I listen I preach where people run and jump and shout and scream and holler so I try not to I try not to uh judge based on on how people react and respond but uh I really want to speak to you I believe from the heart of the father tonight and uh concerning concerning I believe this house and concerning the things that God wants to do in this region. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, I just want to read a few verses. And the Bible said he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones. I'm in verse 40. ...out of the brook, and he put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had even in a script. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came, and he drew near unto David. And the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David and disdained him, watch this, for he was but a youth and ruddy. The the word ruddy this simply means that he was red. He had a red complexion and he was fair meaning that he was actually a good looking handsome guy. He didn't look like a warrior. You better be careful that you don't judge people based on your own perceptions of what you think they ought to look like to be something that God has called them to be because God's not looking at the outward being. He's looking at the surrendered hearts because the truth is God really don't need anything you got anyway except your surrender and obedience. God didn't call you based upon your abilities but he called you based upon your 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 availability and the more that you can surrender the more that God can do. So I don't care what your lack of abilities are, your lack of education is. I don't care what you, what kind of background you came up, whether you just came out of the crack house or, or you just come from the White House. It really is is irrelevant to God that when you become completely surrendered and dead to self there is nothing that God can't do through you there is no sea he can't part there's no dead man he can't raise there's no nation he can't change you say but I'm backwards and stutter well guess what a stuttering stammering Moses led over a million people out of slavery and bondage to Egypt God can use anybody in this room if they give him his their availability God is looking for a surrendered people right now that God will take you so much further than what you think He can take you and do so much more than what you think He can do through you because we have a tendency to measure people by what we think they should be to be able to fulfill a certain assignment or a certain purpose. But God is not looking at the outward man. God is looking at the surrendered person because God has unlimited power and he, listen, he can do the unimaginable. You understand? That's why the Bible said, with God, all things are possible. We shout amen when we hear that preach, but I'm not sure that that resonates in our heart that with God, all things are actually possible. That even four day dead, decaying men come up out of the grave when he speaks their name. You understand that there is nothing that is impossible with God. And there is nothing that he can't do through the people that are in this room. And I need to tell you right now, you need to lose the lies that the enemy has said to you concerning yourself. you got to shake off the insecurities and, and all of the inadequacies you think that you have in your life because they will be the thing that prohibits God from using you. You've got to see yourself in the light of who he is and instead of the light of who you are. You've got to see yourself under the promises of God and not under the the pains of your past and the challenges of what you've come through or the opinions of what people have said about you because the enemy has done everything he can to affect your perception. And if your perception doesn't change, you will never feel qualified to inherit the promised land because listen everything you've gone through in the wilderness of this point up in time and I'm just going to start ministering and prophesying because there have been people in this room that you've been to hell and back in the wilderness you've been under some, some, some intense battles and some conflict and some issues and some things that have scarred you and wounded you and done things to try to negatively affect your perception of who you are as a matter Matter of fact, I hear the Lord saying, there are people in this room, the enemy has been after you since the time you came out of your mother's womb. He has done everything he could to damage you, to scar you and wound you. That you would be emotionally affected, that you would be mentally scarred, that your perceptions of what God could use you for would be skewed because your life has destiny written all over it. I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. But I come to tell somebody in this room that God has been preparing you. You've been in a wilderness experience where God has been changing your perception. And He's been teaching you to trust Him. But you have got to shake off some things that you brought with you out of Egypt. Because nothing you got in Egypt can go into the promised land. You're gonna have to lose some mentalities, you're gonna have to lose some mindsets because God needs you to have a mind, and the mind needs to be the mind of Christ. You have gotta put off your carnal thinking and see him for who he really is. And let me say this to you what you what you behold is what you reflect. Let me say it again, what you behold is what you reflect. If you behold Him and you behold His glory and you are continually seeing Him instead of looking in the mirror and seeing your flesh that is wounded and scarred. Because if you behold that and keep your focus on it and you don't lose that mindset, I'm telling you, you're going to miss your promised land. So the Bible says, and I'm going to move on, (laughs) And the Bible said that he disdained him. Everybody say he disdained him. Listen, you can't align yourself with 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 the perception that the enemy thinks about you. I'm going to say that one more time. You can't align yourself with the perception that the enemy thinks about you. Woo! As a matter of fact, some of you, your enemy has been your own family. Because your, your family sees you the way David's family saw him. When David really become challenged by the, by the circumstances of, of, a, of a giant that was defying the armies of God, and he was moved by the conditions of, of what, this, what this uncircumcised Philistine was doing to the armies of God, he was enraged inside and simply said, is there not a cause? You know, I just wonder, is there a generation in this room that understands that we have been pushed against the wall, that the the armies of the enemy are defying the armies of God, that they're mocking us and they're doing everything they can to intimidate us but is there a generation of people that is so moved by the depravity of where we are that we have risen up and said is there not a cause? Oh is there not a reason for somebody to stand up? and move out of the status quo of a fearful army, and say, you know what? No matter how big the giants are, no matter how bad my past, no matter how great my traumas are, there is a cause that is calling me to emerge. There is a call that is so serious in this hour that we've got to come out of the obscurity of what the giants think about us, and we got to come out of the obscurity of what our family sees us as because David's own brothers said who are you to come out here with your prideful boasting asking questions about what is the rewards and the benefits But I come to tell somebody in this room, there are great dividends to be paid. And there are great rewards for those that will be able to stand up in faith and face the giants that are opposing the armies of God. A generation of people, we don't need to just look at the cost if we lose. We need to look at the cost if we win. We need to look at the rewards and the inheritance that is coming if we win this battle. To me that at the age of 56 is it's changing a culture where my grandchildren can be raised in an environment that is different than this cesspool that the enemy has created. Oh, y'all don't want to hear me preach. I want to set an atmosphere for my grandchildren, for your children and your grandchildren. I want to change a nation that it doesn't look fallen as this season does right now in America. Woo. We have the power, church, to change a nation because we have the power to change a heart. Well I'm going to stop there for just a minute. Is this okay? I really feel like, listen, if you're judging me based on my three points in a prayer, you're going to miss it tonight. I don't have three points in a prayer, but I have the heart of the Father tonight. And I need you to hear this word because you're part of His heart and you're part of what He longs to do in this hour right now. And I need you to hear this word. We, in the religious world has, has literally taken away the, the, the influence, the power, and the transformation of what real salvation means. We have so so become driven by people in pews and numbers in church. And we have measured success by how many people attend our church. Not whether or not they look like Jesus, walk like Jesus, and minister like Jesus. But we just concerned about the numbers that attend a Sunday morning service. Y'all don't want to hear me preach. We're we're more inspired by the size of our building and the number of our program than we are the Christ-likeness of the people that sit in our pews. And because of that, we have invited people to an altar to pray a prayer. And we have given them prayers to pray. And we have given them systematic routines to walk through. That we are now trying to lead and train and develop a generation that does not have Christ. They have institutionalized Christianity. And let me tell you what that'll get you. It'll get you in a mess because when times get tough and the places around you begin to shake and quiver around you, if you don't have Christ, then you will crumble at the shaking process that's going on. But when you're grounded in Christ and you become rooted in Him and not in church, let me tell you what it'll do. It'll give you a foundation that will withstand the storms. It will withstand the hurricanes. It will withstand the shaking because the Bible said His people are as the palm tree. And listen, when you watch on the news when the gale force winds come upon the shore of the coast of our nation and they bend those palm trees horizontal with the ground, as soon as that storm is over they come back vertical again and God said you are like the palm tree you've been rooted and you've been planted and the storms will come but when the storm's over you're coming back my God you may bend under the pressures but you will not be uprooted but we hadn't raised a generation of born again believers we've raised a generation of three point prayer repeaters we raised a generation that took a bath, but they never got cleansed. Because we have lost the significance of preaching what real salvation is. First of all, we ask them to come without repentance. And if you don't have repentance, there'll be no conversion. Acts 3.19 says, repent you therefore and be converted. Repentance brings change. That our times of refreshing would not come from Jesus and Budweiser. Oh, I just went down that road. I'll go back down it again. I don't need Jesus and and methamphetamines. I don't need Jesus and pornography. My times of refreshing don't come from being indulged in the world. My times of refreshing come from the presence of a living God. Oh, I didn't come to have church. I come for the presence. I don't live for, for another word. I live for the presence. Because my times of refreshing come from the presence of the, war- the Lord. Let me tell you what that means. That means that real warriors and real those that have enlisted in the army of God, they understand something that when I'm battle weary, when I'm tired, when I'm under stress, when I've got family conflict, when I've got issues on my job and in my business, I don't run from the house of God. I don't run from worship. I run to the house of God because my time of of refreshing, no come from the club it comes from the presence of a living God you just have to excuse me tonight, I just have to be me I'm just a Georgia redneck, get over it makes you get excited enough to run because see I don't get my kicks and jollies out of going and finding somebody else that's not my wife I don't get my times of refreshing from flirting with people. I don't get my times of refreshing by going and buying me a new car or a new pair of shoes. Y'all don't hear me preach. I don't get my jollies out of buying me a new deer rifle. I don't get it out of catching a 10-pound bath. My times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. When I'm battle-weary and the stress is on and the enemy is under attack, I run to the presence of God. You know why? Because I've been converted. Somebody say converted. If you've been converted, that means that the old things are passed away and behold, all things become new. We have let people come in and claim to be saved that are not saved. You can't disciple somebody that don't have Christ. You can't disciple somebody that's not regenerated. We're like the woman at the whale. The first thing that happens when Jesus... Rolls in and unveils himself. Well, you know, we worship on this mountain and y'all worship in Jerusalem. You know, what, you know what that translates in 21st century? I'm Baptist. I'm Pentecostal. Well, I've been in church all my life. She never was converted. You see, we're religious but unconverted. So we, if we don't understand the power of salvation and what that does to an individual's life. Let me just, let me just give you a little glimpse. September 2nd, 1990, I had a 250-day cocaine habit. $250-a-day cocaine habit. In September of 1990, I was a womanizer. I put more bills in women's garters than most people ever made in a lifetime. You don't understand. I run dope. I run guns. I was full of anger. I was full of rage. There was murder in my heart. There's some things in my testimony that I can't even share with you. But do you understand? I was raised in a good Christian home. That we went to church on Easter and Christmas. We were good Methodists in the early days of my childhood. And then we became good Baptists. But we were all lost as a ball in high weeds. And the challenge with that was that night, those sins led me to a point of suicide. I had had my grandfather die in my arms or shoot himself in my arms when I was 12 years old. So suicide plagued my life, most all of my life, because of the experiences that I had. A few weeks before I was converted, my best friend put a 300 weatherbe under his chin and blowed his brains out. This was just a couple of weeks before I got radically saved in my living room. But I need you to hear what I'm about to tell you. September 2nd, 1990, me and God got in a knockdown drag out in my living room. There were no three-point prayers. But I promise you, I cussed more cuss words than you probably could invent right now. You say, God couldn't save you while you was cussing. Oh, yes, he can. His mercy runs much deeper than yours does. And in that fight that I was in with God because I was angry because I held God responsible for the death of my grandfather who shot himself in my arms and blamed me for it. At, a 12, at the age of 12, listen to what I'm telling you. Because I blamed God because I didn't know God. If you knew God, you would quit blaming me for the tragedies that have happened in your life. The reason you can blame God for the tragedies is because you don't know Him nor do you know His nature. And the enemy has deceived you to holding God responsible for something that God did not do. And the very one who has the power to heal your scars and to heal your anger and to heal your resentment is the one that you're mad at. Because that's what the enemy does. He toys with our perceptions. I'm going somewhere with this message. I'm not scattered. I'm zeroed in. In September 2nd, 1990, in that living room, in a knockdown drag out with God, I said, God, listen, I hate you. I don't know if I believe in you. And there was a lot of adjectives in between. I want you to get the full gist of what was going on in the room. I'm high on cocaine. I'm, 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 I drank a fifth of liquor and a case of Miller Lite beer every day of my life. Every day. I smoked two packs of Marlboro Light 100. I dipped two cans of Copenhagen every day. My wife had left and taken our infant daughter. She couldn't take it anymore. We had been separated more times than, well, I won't be, than you can possibly imagine. And at the end of the day, that night, I drug a 357 Magnum off of my shelf along with the King James Schofield Bible. And I opened that Bible that night with that pistol in my hand after, a, after a, just a dogfight with God. And it turned to the scripture that said, if any man will lose his life he shall have life. But if any man keeps his life, he shall lose it. And for the first time in my life, I understood something the Bible said. Because I grew up in a family that we really believed that the average person could not understand the Bible. That you got to go to church and hear it from a preacher. Does that resonate with anybody in the room besides me? And that night, I I read that scripture and I began to cry. And I screamed out to God, God, if you're real, change me. And that night, I walked away from a $250 a day cocaine habit. I walked away from a life of alcoholism. I walked away from two cans of Copenhagen a day and two packs of Marlboro Light 100s. I walked away from every girlfriend and every strip club. And God restored my marriage. And God taught me how to be a son to my mama and daddy. He taught me how to be a father to my daughter and He taught me how to be a husband to my wife and He taught me how to love people and respect them and honor them. It brought about a metamorphous change in my life that I marked here 30 years later that has never stopped working and never stopped changing me that my salvation was not the end of something but it was the beginning of an incredible journey from glory to glory to glory. If the church still believed in the power of real salvation we would be witnessing to people and telling them the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ because if God could change me God can change anybody but we've lost the, the meaning and the revelation of the power of real salvation because we've seen too many repeated prayers that never produce change. And the problem is we have people in our pews that are good church members but they've never been saved. They don't really understand intimate worship. They don't understand a call to a deeper devotion. We just want to fit God into this, into this thing we call life somewhere. But see, God doesn't want you to fit Him into your life. He wants to be your life. In other words, He wants to be everything, and then you fit everything else around everything in Him. Are y'all with me today? That's kind of what he meant when he said, it is what he meant. When he said, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and then all of the other things will be added unto you. If God's will becomes the priority, and when we're converted, that is what is supposed to be the priority in our life. If there was real conversion. Hello somebody, y'all with me today? So the church has lost the revelation of the power of salvation. That's why you can't beg somebody to get out of their comfort zone and witness to somebody. There's something wrong if you can speak in tongues, but you can't witness to anybody. Maybe you need to check your baptism. Because if the baptism of the Holy Spirit did not give you boldness, then you didn't get the real thing. You might have got Pentecostalism or charismatic Christianity, but if you got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you should have the spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. That that power is the power to be witnesses for Him everywhere we go. It is a power that is unashamed of who He is and what He did through the death and the resurrection that I'm not ashamed of my testimony. I'm not ashamed to be an extremist. I'm not ashamed to be sold out. I'm not ashamed to be blood-bought. I'm not ashamed to be baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. I'm not ashamed that my worship is extravagant. I'm not ashamed that my praise is radical. I'm not ashamed that I raised my children in morals and the values of God's Word and Holy Spirit. I'm not ashamed that I brought my children to church and raised them in the atmosphere of God's presence in the at- instead of the atmosphere of a sporting arena. Boy, I need to preach in here today. I'm not ashamed that I raised my children to know the presence of the Lord more than they knew the spirit of the world. Not ashamed because there's a spirit of boldness that comes upon a real believer And that should be the fire in every one of us. And if we understood that God did that for us, then God can do it for anybody. And the Bible says, from the text I didn't finish reading, (laughs) that David went out to meet the giant. And the reason he went out to meet the giant was first of all, because David had the foundation of a private life of worship that equipped him and enabled him to win his public battles. I need to say that again. David had developed a lifestyle of private worship. And when you have private worship, You are equipped to be able to win your private battles and your personal and your public battles. Whoo, y'all didn't hear that. Let me say it one more time. When you have a lifestyle of private worship, you are equipped to win your private battles and your public battles. Because in a lifestyle of worship, perception changes. Because when you really worship God, you see God for who he is. And I got news for you. You were not created in the image of a denomination. You were not created in the image of Pentecostalism. You are created in the image of God. You are not to look like the world's version of church. You are to look like him. You have been predestined to be conformed into the image of Jesus. That's why the Bible said walk even as he walked. You know what the chairman of the deacon board of the first church I ever pastored told me? His wife was laying in the hospital in critical condition. They asked me to come and pray for her. I come in to pray for her. She's in ICU. She's in critical condition. And I'm praying and I lay my hands on her. And I prayed for the healing power of God. And she looked up at me and said, My God, what are you going to do? Put on a robe and run up and down the streets and act like Jesus? See, the truth is, is we're supposed to look like Jesus. We're supposed to have victory like Jesus. They couldn't confine him. They couldn't take him before his time. Are you hearing me? They couldn't crucify him before his time. Even when they came, he said, listen, no man takes my life. I lay my life down. You ain't getting nothing until I give it to you. Woo, y'all hear me? No devil could stop him. No religious system could shut him down. The Roman Empire couldn't touch him. You understand you're created in the image of God. The government can't shut you down. They can't close the doors on our church. My God, they can't take prayer out of school because if you got breath in your lung, honey, the law don't bother you. You can pray anywhere, anytime, preach in any environment. My God. (laughs) Woo! They couldn't shut him down. They couldn't shut his disciples down. They told him, they told him, if you preach it in the name of Jesus anymore. They said, well, who are we to obey man or God? Amen. We, you can't shut us down. You ain't going to stop us. You can beat us. You can lock us up, but you can't shut us up. Because they were determined that Christ would be made manifest in their mortal flesh. Whew, where's the church? That says, whip me, beat me, lock me up, make fun of me, walk out on me, let the giants come against me. But the battle is the Lord's and in the name of the Lord, this giant is coming down. Yes. Where is the right perception of the church? That it's not intimidated by the giants of our hour. That are not intimidated by the mountains of opposition that are in front of you. The Bible said, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, be thou removed. I read your post the other day. that said, why are we climbing mountains that God gave us the power to move? Why are we exhausted with the mental anguishes of worrying about mountains that your faith spoken will pluck up and move? Y'all not hearing me preach today. We're letting adversities in our lives and our families become mountains that are impossible. And all of a sudden, we're like the children of Israel. We took the promises of God that were, you will inherit the promised land. You will live in houses you didn't build, drink from cisterns you didn't dig. You will inherit the land that flows with milk and honey. You will drive out the giants that are bigger than you are and stronger than you are. They forgot all that because the emotions of the moment of a battle, because their perception had not been changed. When you don't have a, a life of private worship, your perception's not right. You can't wait on the praise team of our Father's house to develop your worship life. You got to have a worship life when you're at home, when you're riding down the road. You got to get in the prayer closet and get your own revelation of who God is. Woo, our hunger for God, it's got to grow deeper than I showed up for church tonight. Because if there's not a hunger that drives you to seek God outside of this building, you'll never walk in the the revelation of God that will bring you victory in your public battles. Because here's what most people won't do. If you don't have a real revelation of God, you won't ever fight your public battles. You'll be like the armies of Israel that were intimidated by the giants. Can I just give you a couple of... When the Bible says that (coughs) the Philistine giant, Goliath, defied the armies of God, most people don't understand that that word defied means to strip naked. Everybody say strip naked. And to expose with shame and reproach. Here's what the devil does to you. In the middle of a battle, he rips open everything and exposes your humanity. Mm-hmm. He exposes your weaknesses. He strips you naked of everything that you try to cover yourself up with. Mm-mm. In other words... He's going to pull back everything and expose you for who you really are. Mm. And most of us, if we see ourselves by what our flesh has been, I'm not fighting. I don't have what it is. The giants are too great for me. Are you all with me today? We're going to say, the land swalloweth up the inhabitants. Because when the enemy strips us naked, and exposes our abuse. Exposes the pain from the molestation. Exposes the emptiness from the abandonments we've gone through. Exposes our insecurities. Exposes our our insecurities because of lack of education. Exposes our past failures. Are y'all hearing me preach? But see, you got to understand that if your perception of God is right, you do not see yourself in the light of the things that you have come through. Because the Bible said if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things are passed away and behold all things become new. I am not carrying the scars that tried to define me. I am not the scars that I have been exposed to. I am not the failures that I have committed. I am not the guilty one of the things that I've done in my past because the blood of Jesus has washed me clean and the power of the Holy Ghost has made me brand new. My goodness. That's why 10 spies come back and said, we're like grasshoppers. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. And we're like grasshoppers in our own sight. The truth is, many of us in this room have mental perceptions of how we think people see us. I could drop the mic right there. Do you understand? I could drop the mic. Well, that's just really what they think about me. That's how they perceive me. But that perception did not come through God. That perception came out of your carnal mind. The worst thing that the enemy can do, or the greatest thing the enemy can do against you, is for you to start thinking how other people see you. But even if they do see you in that light, it does not define who you are. Because when your mental perception is right, then you have the mind and the spirit of a Joshua and Caleb, and you say, they are bread for us. You don't see them as the conquerors. You see them as the next meal that promotes you into the next season that God prepared for your life. And how you perceive your enemies... And how you perceive your battle will determine the defeat or the victory that you have. My goodness. Woo! I'm going to put a caboose on it. I am. Watch this. David understood. I got an anointing on my life. The oil flowed over me. It didn't flow over, over, over my brothers. It flowed when it touched my head. And God knew who I was when my own daddy didn't recognize who I was. You understand, David had been fighting personal battles long before he fought Goliath. He had fought family discord and family dysfunction. He had fought abandonment issues. He had fought insecurities that had been tempted and had been tried to be put on him by a father that would not recognize the anointing on his life. When he did come up and his perception was right and he said, what is the reward for the one who will kill this uncircumcised Philistine? They thought he was full of pride and their words said, why don't you go back to them few sheep? Them few sheep you've intended to. Paul Johnson. And God gave me this word. There are people that say you just need to go pastor this little church and you just tend them few sheep because they don't see the mantle that God has really placed on your life. And there are real giants that stand between you and the destiny that's in front of you. And you cannot let anybody who sees you as a tender of a few sheep That can't embrace the mantle that God has for you. To let those things restrict you or to tether you. Because they won't stop you, but they can restrict and tether you. And you can't let those that see you in that light that will not see you as the warrior that God has called you to be. You're a giant slayer. Do you hear me? You lead armies. Do you heal me? Saul killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousand. And You cannot let the perception of a few people that think you need to go tend a few sheep stop you from laying hold of what God has laid hold of you for because you are called to lead armies. You are called to be a king in the army of God. You better not be The family members that want to put a shepherd's cloak on a man who put an apostolic mantle on him. You hear me? Because this church will become everything God wants it to become with him wearing that apostolic mantle. And the more people that support that, the greater influence that this house will have over this region. The greater this thing will grow, the larger it will become. And the broader will it be its influence. Because what he makes happen in the nation, God will make happen in (laughs) Hooserville. And if I just committed some kind of blasphemy against Indiana, forgive me, I did it in ignorance. Ignorance. Some of you have been tried to be defined by your families. But when you don't have private worship, you don't have the right perspective and you let what people think about you and what people try to make you wear listen even then Saul called him into his, to his tent and said look if you're going to fight Goliath you got to wear this kind of armor you got to do it this way you can't do it just because that person knows what they're doing and that armor worked for them you got to be secure in what you know and who you are because God is going to defeat the giants in your life based on what he tries You and prepared you with while you were in the sheep living in obscurity. My God, you got to quit trying to be somebody else and be who God called you to be. If they don't like it, they can just get over it because at the end of the day, the giants are coming down when you be who God created you to be. Whoa! I feel the Holy Ghost. My goodness. I'm gonna I'm close. I got. I gotta find a caboose. But watch this. I need, you, I need. you to get this. This. This last point. David was confident because David had been fighting many private battles and conquering his private battles before he fought his first public battle. He fought the battle of the rejection of a dad. He fought the battle of being anointed but not being appointed, which might be the greatest battle you ever fight in your life when you got to know that you're anointed, but you got to be patient while God prepares your appointment y'all are not hearing me preach tonight because listen, it's one thing to be anointed but when you can violate ministerial and biblical ethics and you can conflict with the Holy Spirit trying to obtain an anointing that you haven't been appointed for and many people miss their destiny because they try to run ahead of the preparation time of God. Y'all ain't hearing me preach. They try to run out of season because they're ambitious and because they're driven by their calling instead of being led by the Holy Spirit Woo. wow and they'll split a church in a nanosecond God help you if you think you can bring division in the body of Christ and have an anointed ministry it will never happen Somebody say, I got to fight the battle of being anointed, but not yet appointed. You got to learn how to let the seasons of where you are develop your personal life of worship. Your personal life of devotion. Because in those moments, your confidence is growing. Not in who you are, but who God is. Because when David went against the Philistine. And when, when Saul was trying to put his armor on him, when his brothers were mocking him saying, go back to them little sheep, his reply was, I've done fought a lion and I done fought a bear. I done know what God will do. I, I Listen, it ain't about the, the ability of my slingshot. It's not about the traits that I have developed. It's about the God who backs up the rock in my slingshot." It's not about my weapons. It's about the God who empowers my weapons. It's not about my ability, but it's the God who backs up my ability. His confidence was in God because when the Philistine came against him and said this day, boy, you punk, good-looking cutie. In In my world, he'd have called him a preppy. I grew up in the country. Yes, I wear blue jeans and button-up shirts, and I'm doing good to have on one of them. You understand, I got a farmer's tan. It, It stops right here. Ain't nothing preppy in my life. This boy was a punk by visual appearance. He was pretty. His hair in perfect place. His words well pronounced, I'm confident. He didn't look like a warrior. He didn't have a long fiery beard and he didn't have eyes like fire. He was a kid. See, you can't let people judge your age. You can't let people judge you because of your generation. I I got time. I hear the Holy Ghost, but you got to know who God is. Because when all of this said, he said, listen, I've done fought some bears. I've fought some lions. I've been in some personal battles. I know what it's like to be rejected, but I didn't become a victim because I had a personal life of worship. So therefore, I did not let the actions of unjust people against me make me a victim. That's why when the opportunity arises and there is a cause at hand, I will emerge in the name of my Lord. He said to that Philistine that day, he said, you come to me with a spear and a sword. You're bigger, you're greater, you're you're stronger, but I have come to you, son, in the name of the Lord. He said, this day, I'm going to cut your head off and I'm going to leave your body for the fowls of the air to eat. And David picked him up those five stones And he flung that stone and it had nothing to do with the stones. I've heard a thousand preach sermons and there's revelation in it. But it was not the stone, but it was the anointing behind the stone. And it brought that Philistine giant to the ground. And God said to be able to fulfill the prophecy you declared over that giant, even though you ain't got a sword, son, I want you to take a Philistine sword. A a sword that was twice the size of a young, ruddy boy. And he pulled back that massive sword. He didn't even need a sword to win the battle. Y'all ain't hearing me preach. He just needed faith in who God was. And he cut the Philistines' head off with a sword that was not even his own. Because God will not let the promises and the prophecies that have been decreed and declared not come to pass over your life. I've come to call an army to the forefront. I've come to call people to emerge tonight. I've come to activate warriors. People don't like my crude verbiage sometimes because there's too many panty-waisted poopsies in the church. (laughs) Ain't nothing ugly about those terms. Look it up. Google it. You'll find my picture. You know what it defines? It means a sissy. God don't have sissies in his kingdom. God has warriors in his kingdom. God has people that will not cower down at the giants. They will not cower down at the fulfillment of the promises of God over our lives. We will not say the lands that God has called us to inhabit will swallow us up. We don't complain that it's too much money. We don't complain that the world's too wicked. We don't complain that the government's too evil. We don't complain that the church is too dead. We see all of those complications as our next sandwich. They're bread for us. You know what that means. Some people just think that he said they're bread. It wasn't. When they came out of the promised land originally they came to Egypt because Egypt had provision it had bread when they said these giants they are bread for us, they're saying this is the next season of God's provision for us you see when your perception of God is right your giants that stand in opposition only become your next season That's why when David the Bible said and I didn't get to the text the Bible said when he come up against Goliath he ran to Goliath because Goliath was the door between the sheep pen and the palace that God had ordained him to be in. You got to see your giant as your next season of promotion and destiny that God has for your life. I want you to stand with me all over the building. How you see your giants and how you see the adversaries and the obstacles comes as a result of your own personal worship and devotion to God. Before I call up an army, I'm enlisting members. your perception of God is not what it should have been because something besides God's had your eye I need you to hear me today church this is not an embarrassing altar call this is not for the purpose of humiliating people this is not for the purpose of demising or diminishing anyone it's for the purpose of bringing true repentance because you will never be a warrior if you don't have a life of worship you will never be a warrior if you don't have a life of devotion. If you think the anointing comes without the, pr- without the price of crushing, you're wrong. Your giftings do not have the ability to take you where God has ordained you to go. Oh. You're going to have to have a revelation of who He is. That's why when Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus, he didn't pray for them just to have gifts. He prayed for them to have a a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He prayed for the eyes of their understanding to be opened or enlightened, the King James says, that they would know the hope of his calling. And the greatest part of that text is the inheritance that is within the saints not the inheritance to the saints but the inheritance you gotta know who's in you can I say this the Holy Spirit is not some third watered down version of God it is the fullness of Him John fourteen twenty-three. if you keep my words my Father and I will make our abode Woo! (laughs) My father and I. See, when you get the Holy Spirit, you get the full deal. You get the whole package. The Holy Spirit is not anything less. It is Him. And He said He'll come and make His abode. Not you'll be a place of visitation. You'll be a place of habitation as a matter of fact that word abode is the same Greek word in the earlier verses where it said in my father's house are many mansions go read on that a while the same word the same Greek word it meant abode I'll make you my dwelling place I'm preparing you through the blood that I shed for you to become my dwelling place that where you go I'll be, I'll be there that everywhere your feet tread I'm there Everywhere you go, it's my authority, my power, my anointing. So when you face your giants, it's not you facing them, but it's the God on the inside of you. God. there ain't a giant that has power over the God who lives inside of you. But if you've not had your eye on him, but the world's had your focus, before I pray for the army, I got to pray for people to be enlisted in the army. There's some of you ain't enlisted right yet because your focus ain't been right. You're not ready to be a warrior on the front, front line until you get your eyesight right, till you get your devotion right, till you get your you get your private worship right because real worship does not come out of the inspiration of anointed singers. Real worship comes out of a revelation of who he is. Oh, I'm gonna say it one more time. Real worship comes out of a revelation of who He is. See, when you know who He is, don't know if I have to provoke you to worship. You can worship any time, any place, at the spur of a moment. You can be in Atlanta, Georgia traffic, and being having people point the middle finger at you, every other car, and you can be worshiping in the glory of God. Because I don't worship out of emotions and feelings. I worship out of the revelation of who he is. God's calling us to get our eyes off the world, our eyes off the giants, our eyes off the mountains, and our eyes on him. We've made room for everything else in our lives except God. We've given room to everything that demanded of us except God. The difference between the world, your families, your children, your responsibilities, your finances, they demand your attention. But God asks for your attention. I'm not demanding, I'm asking. Will you turn your eyes toward Jesus? Will you bow your knee and surrender? Will you repent of letting everything else take your time, your focus? Would you return back to your first love? Would you go back to the secret place of the Most High God? My invitation for the first part of this invitation is to people that need to come home. People that need to refocus. People that need to redirect what they gaze upon or better yet, who they gaze upon. If you've been distracted, if the world had your focus, would you get out from behind your seats right now and come home? Would you come find a place in an altar tonight and say, God, I'm coming home? God, I'm returning to my first love. I repent for getting distracted. I repent for focusing on the battle, focusing on the giants focusing on the calling more than the one who called me. Lord, tonight I come home. Tonight I surrender. Tonight I ask you. In just a minute, I'm going to pray for the armies of God. We are facing the Goliath of our generation right now. And I've got to tell you, you're anointed for this battle. Those of you in this altar right now, you're becoming anointed for this battle. God's redirecting your focus so that you don't look upon your abilities and your flesh. You begin to look at who He is. And God is arming you tonight, right now in this altar, with a revelation. Tonight, some of you just needed to be told, go fight. Go fight. Some of you just needed to be told, run. Not from, but to your giants. Some of you just needed somebody to say, charge. Because it's time for the church to emerge in battle. The battle that the Lord is going to win. The head of the uncircumcised Philistine is coming off. He's coming off now. This is us, our finest hour. This is the church's mandate. So tonight as you turn your face toward Jesus, I want you just to begin to worship as you gaze upon his glory and upon his beauty. Father, grant us tonight the opening of the eyes of our understanding may the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you come upon us right now Father from the left to the right of this altar God Father let it come let it come right now shower us this very moment with revelations and understandings of who you are that God our worship become deep intimate and genuine